Pastor Xavier Reese explains the consequence of removing consequences. Listen to Ecclesiastes 8:11. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set on them to do evil. You remove consequences, you have evil flourishing. Capital punishment is a very strong deterrent against murder. It begins with the guilty person. He will not do it again. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. It was the sixth day of creation that God created man, and in His own image at that when life began for mankind. But it was the sixth commandment in which He forbids anyone from taking the life of another. Let's listen as Pastor Xavier addresses the simple truths the author and giver of life intended to communicate with regards to the Sixth Commandment of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 13. In 1979, the murder rate in the United States was roughly 10,000 per year, more than one per hour every day in the year. In all the wars of the nation's history, 530,000 United States combatants have been killed since 1900. Death from guns alone in the U.S. have totaled more than 800,000 on our streets. People and politicians keep wanting us to blame guns, but it's like blaming a car for running a person over. You're behind the wheel. You are responsible. Guns don't get out and shoot people. It's people. And so as we continue in our series of the Ten Commandments, the Sixth Commandment is next, which is thou shalt not murder. And so we want to approach it from a threefold perspective. First of all, the proclamation of the commandment. Second, the interpretation of the commandment. And thirdly, the protection by the commandment. So let's begin here. You shall not murder. The proclamation of the commandment. Notice the sixth commandment is the second in the second table of the law. The second table, remember, deals with man's relationship to man. Righteousness. The horizontal plane. The table deals with the right conduct towards man. Your fellow man. The second table of the law is the product of the first table of the law and the source of man's relationship to God. If I'm in a right relationship with God and I understand that, then I'm going to respond properly towards you. It's simple. The vertical axis is the priority. Having the proper understanding and belief about God, then the horizontal plane is my response in knowing who God is and what he requires of me and how I'm to love my fellow man. Now, the second table of the law is parallel to the first table of the law, as we've said before. The first commandment is the foundation of the next three, an extension of the first. And the fifth commandment, that we studied last time, is the foundation of the next four, an extension of the fifth. They're parallel. Now, the sixth commandment is based on the basic Judeo-Christian understanding that God is the author of human life. Basic. Listen to the words. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Genesis 1.26. The Trinity had a council. Now, the nature of God is Trinity. One God in three persons is consistently taught, as you know, from Genesis to Revelation. The first verse of Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Elohim. One God in three persons. The conversation of the creation of man affirms this trinity. Let us make man in our image. Who was he speaking to? The horny toes and lizards? 
our image. The council determined to create man in the image and likeness of God. It's real simple. Now, image and likeness in Hebrew is a Hebrew parallelism of compliments to describe something completely as did the phrase without form and void in Genesis 1-2. It's like saying dirty, really dirty. <laughs> it emphasizes it. Both words, image and likeness, are used synonymous. Yet, with an important amplification, both phrases are found in Genesis, and the next time image and likeness is found is in the fallen nature in Genesis 5-3 when Adam has a son after his own likeness, now a sinner. The root of the word image simply means a shade, meaning a representative figure, idol, phantom. It appears 16 times in the Old Testament. Uh, listen to the theological word book dictionary. It says this, quote, likeness amplifies and specifies the meaning of image so as not to make man another like God, but a creation and faithful representative of God on earth. We're not God. Now, there are some Christian groups who have taught that we're, we are little gods. If we're gods, we're in trouble. Likeness means resemblance, similitude, model, shape, or pattern, appearing 26 times in the noun form in the Old Testament, two times in the Aramaic in Daniel 3.25 and 7.5. Now, the word is used of man in the image of God. If you remember in Ezekiel, he used it to describe the appearance that he saw. Isaiah used it when God asked him, who are you going to liken me to? The obvious implications of the word are as follows. This is very important, so you understand what image and likeness means. First, the words do not mean or teach a physical likeness, for God is spirit. John 4, 24, from the words of Jesus, and Colossians 1, 15, to give you a few. God is spirit. Even though God sometimes is, is described in anthropomorphic terms, big word for human parts ascribed to God, the eye of God, the hand of God. But he doesn't have eyes or hands. Otherwise, you have to go along with the psalmist that says he protects you under the shadow of his wing. Now he's a chicken. Okay, there's figurative language, there's literal language, okay? Now, also the words do mean and teach an intellectual likeness, able to understand, think, and reason, for he gave man dominion over the earth and the animals to name them in Genesis 1.28 and 2.19. Adam was smart. When he named them, he wasn't thinking, oh, what the heck should I call this one? He just said, giraffe, hippopotamus, this, that. You ever try to think of a name? Smart dude. The words do mean and teach a moral likeness for holiness and righteousness. For all God made was very good. Adam and Eve were created in the ability to not sin before the fall. Innocent. Genesis 131. Before the fall. Also the words do mean and teach spiritual likeness. A living soul to be in fellowship with God and to worship him. Genesis 2, 7 and 3, 8. Gives us that. Adam and Eve and Abel and Cain, they worship God. The words do mean and teach a potential for immortality. The day you eat, God said, you shall surely die in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. Literally, the words do mean and teach a potential of choice and will. Every tree in the garden you may eat except one, Genesis 2, 16 17. You have a free will and choice, ladies and gentlemen. You're not a robot. All of this is what is implied by image and likeness. Now, the sixth commandment on the Judeo-Christian understanding is that the creator Elohim executed his counsel 
in the creation of male and female. Very important. It says, so God created man in his own image, in the likeness, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them, Genesis 1.27. Now, God created man in his own image and likeness, as we have seen. The word for man, Adam, is used for mankind, being the first man. God made, the word is Asa, God formed, Yatsar. Both of those are used in the creation of man, describing the molding and shaping of man of material already existing in Genesis 1.26 and 2.7. Man was formed of the dust of the ground, Genesis 2.7. Man was made of the most common substance that he would not be so impressed by his own person, but aware of his frailty and temporalness. God gave man a body to communicate and manifest his thoughts, his words, his deeds, his desires. This body is just a vehicle. Man is spirit, your spirit. The real you is spirit. When you die, your body goes to the ground. Your spirit goes to eternity, you understand? Now, placing in this verse in Genesis 1.27, male and female before the verb gives great emphasis on distinction. So grammar is very important. The word for male and female cannot be mistaken or confused. Male and female. You have singular man created in plurality of two, male and female. God created bara out of nothing. God used another word to describe the method of the woman which he brought forth. He made, the word is bana. Literally, he built the woman. <laughs> We used to have a phrase in the 60s, she's built. It's scriptural. Um, <laughs> God built the woman, okay? Different word. The creation of man took place on the sixth day with clear distinction. Now, there are several trillion hardworking cells in every person's body. Listen to this. A cell is so small, it takes 250 of them placed side by side to equal the diameter of a dot. Inside the membrane of each cell, swimming around in the cytoplasm, are about 200 of these wiggly, squirmly particles. One of living in active chemical laboratories, a food and energy factory of, of these things, inside of each of these cells are 200 wiggly mitochondria. Each one of these would be about one 50,000th of the size of the glob as big as a dot. Inside of each mitochondrion are hundreds of small spheres scattered along stalks in the mitochondria. Each sphere is about one one-thousandth the size of a mitochondrion. So each sphere would be about one-fifth millionth the size of a dot. Each of these tiny spheres is a chemical factory with a production line that produces energy and food for the cell. This is such marvelous smallness and intricate complexity that it stretches one's imagination even to think so. Now, do you think you evolved? Man is an inferior trinity, as you know, after the image and likeness of God. But he was marred at the fall, becoming inverted, being body, soul, and spirit. So we were First spirit, but then the fall came and became upside down. First Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. 
And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the body is only the physical vehicle instrument to manifest again, like I said, to communicate your thoughts, your actions, and all that. If I put my hand in a glove and I wave to you, do you think it's the glove? Or if I make an obscene gesture, do you get mad at the glove? Come on. It's me, right? You take a pencil, you can write poetry or dirty words. You can't say, dirty pencil, I can't believe you. No. <laughs> it's you. The soul is part of man's intellect, his motion and his will, which is fallen in nature, now depraved towards evil. He's a slave of sin by sin nature. The spirit of man is dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, until he's born again. He's separated from God. The fall caused man to live upside down, being concerned most with the body needs, what I should eat, what I should wear, how I'm going to gratify myself. That's the primary focus when you're not born again. In fact, you live for the body. You ever see those guys at the gym? <laughs> you know? I'll take care of your body. But you don't live for your body. So the body is used to achieve all the desires of sin nature, intellectual, emotional, becoming a slave of sin. You know, you used to be there. I used to be there. I've never forgotten. I'm a good sinner. I don't need any help. <laughs> The effects of the fall resulted in sin nature and can only be overcome by the new birth then. You must be born again or you'll never enter the kingdom of God. If you're going to please God, you have to have a repentant heart of who you are. You're a sinner so that God can forgive you your sin and give you a new divine nature. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19, Paul says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, speaking to Christians. In the futility of your mind, having their understanding darkened, being alien from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts, who being past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness and greediness. That's man. Now, there are good moral pagans, thank God, but if you're not born again, there's a lot more good people in hell than there are bad people, you understand? Because there's no good people, good for nothing. Finish the sentence. We're bad news. Now, man after the new birth is now made upright, being spirit first, soul, and body. That doesn't mean we don't care for the body. In fact, we honor the body more than before. Before, I used to use it for everything and, and destroy it, pollute it with alcohol, drugs, whatever. And, you know, I just boasted how much I could do. But what I didn't know is it gets me at the end. Those hard miles up front get me at the end. Listen to Romans 6.22. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. So my life has changed. Being able to put on the new man, created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, 23 and 27. Now I can, I can be what God intended me to be. New quality, recently made by the new birth. Righteous, now right living towards my fellow man and holiness pertaining to the things of God, my thinking, everything you do, because now he has given me a spirit. I have his word to direct and guide me. The latter is responsible for the former. Because I'm born again, now I can live that life. You understand? Now, being able as the new man to be renewed in knowledge according to the image of Christ who created me, Colossians 3.10 says. So now my life has turned around completely, being renewed, meaning new quality opposed to the continuous old nature of the old man. The word knowledge is full knowledge in Colossians. 
clear. I understand that God created me. I understand that, that what God intended. I understand that the world is a result of man's rebellion against God. I, I understand that I'm a sinner. I understand I have a sin nature that has a bent towards darkness. I understand that. The outcome is a particular image, derived likeness, like the head of the stamp, Colossians 1.15. In fact, the word in the diminutive form gives us our word photograph. In Ephesians 4, 23 and 24, which goes back to Genesis 1, 26 and 27, in the image and likeness of God, right? Now, God created man as the highest form of life on the earth, being the closest resemblance to God in his image after his likeness. For that reason, man should never equate the life of a man on the same level and value as that of an animal. In fact, when Noah got off the boat, the first thing God said, you see that animal? He's your food. Genesis 9.3. He's so you can eat and so you don't walk around naked. God don't want no streakers around. Okay, so you get some clothes on and you get some food. We're not talking about being mean to animals. We're not talking about being cruel to animals. We're talking about treating animals as God designed them to be for us. And so the proclamation of the commandment is based on the fact that God is what? The author and giver of life. Simple. Real simple. I notice, secondly, the interpretation of the commandment. This is where people get in trouble. The interpretation. Notice the sixth commandment is very specific, prohibiting the act and deed of murder. The sixth commandment prohibits any person to take the life of another being. The word for murder. I don't know what translation you have. Some have kill. It's a wrong translation. New King James has murder. It's accurate. The Hebrew word is unique in that it has no cognates to this root in any of the Semitic languages, meaning to slay or kill a person. It appears 47 times in the Old Testament, indicating intentional. Listen to Exodus 21, 12, and 14. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. In other words, he would run for mercy to the altar, grab a hold of the horns, and he says, you take him and you, should, you, you execute him. Very clear in Exodus 21, 12 and 14. It's only one chapter after this one. He's going to give us accidental death plus premeditated, and he makes a distinction. You can't confuse him. This is the context of the sixth commandment here. Deliberately premeditated manslaughter with malice, what we call today first-degree murder. The reason God gave for prohibiting premeditated murder is because he is the author and giver of life. It goes back to the foundation. Life is sacred due to the fact that man has created in the image and likeness of God, as we've seen. Life is sacred due to the fact that it is to be dependent on God and only God can remove your life. Never yourself. We're going to look into that too. Now, the first murder was Cain. He murdered his brother Abel and his blood cried out to God. Why? Because God gave life. Genesis 4, 11 through 14. It's real simple. There are several terms to describe ways people lose their life, but our word here is unique. So the context will is very, very important. We will see that there's accidental deaths, Deuteronomy 19.5, 
defending one's home, Exodus 22.2, and avenge killing, Numbers 35.19, and assassination, Judges 3.21. That's just some of the ones. Now, the law had provisions for those who kill someone by accident. Let me show you how just God is. Accidental murder. Listen. In Exodus 21, 13, the next chapter, the law made distinction between murder and accidental death. However, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for him a place where he may flee. We'll get into the refuge cities. God gave provisions when it was accident. The law does not contradict the sixth commandment, this one right here we just read. One is murder. This was accidental death. And he gets a place of refuge. And remember, chapter 19 to 24 is the book of the covenant. It's given at the same time. God's not going to be contradicting himself. And he makes it very clear. The law provided places of refuge. Jot down Numbers 35, 15 through 23. I'm just going to read a portion of it. These six cities shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger, for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. But if he strikes him with an iron implement... So that he dies. He's a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. And then he repeats the same thing with various instruments like stones and pieces of wood in various ways. And then it says, and the one who struck him shall surely be put to death. He is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. The avenger of blood is the next of kin. If, I, if someone would kill me premeditatively, then my brother had the responsibility to go kill him. And it was just. If it was premeditated, you understand? He says, however, if he pushes him suddenly without enmity or throws anything to him without lying in wait or uses a stone by which a man could die, throwing it at him without seeing him. You know, you throw your axe across and then it goes on the other side of the tree and somebody's over and you smack him in the head, you kill him. Well, you didn't mean to. He says, so that he died while he was not his enemy or seeking to harm him. So God made the distinction. The procedures were to be just, and he gives them. In Numbers 35, 24 and 25, it says, Then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. So the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood, and the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge. There were three on the one side of Jordan, three on the other side, where he had fled. And he shall remain there until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. So, you accidentally kill somebody, you run to one of the three. If you're on this side of Jordan, if you're on the other, the other three. The avenger of blood's after you. You got to get to the city before he gets you. You get in the city, you tell the priest what went on. They have the court, they find out it is. You have to remain in that city until the death of the priest. Then you can go back to your home. If that mass slayer kills you after you've been released, then he gets executed. Now, Jesus is our high priest. You're in his city. He's never going to die. You can't leave. There's your protection. If you leave, you're on your own. How interesting. Now the consequences of not abiding in the refuge city is given. In Numbers 35, 26 or 28. But if that manslayer at any time goes outside the limits of the city of refuge where he fled, and the avenger of blood is out there, finds him outside the limits of the city of the refuge, and the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of blood because he should have remained in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. You understand? God is just and fair. 
He makes a distinction between first-degree murder or accidental murder. Pastor Xavier Reese and the righteous justness of God's commandments, even in the case of one life taken by another, on today's Simple Truths. And there's much more of this message to come next time. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply The Sacredness of Life. It's available on CD for only $4. And this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is The Sacredness of Life, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 